as we kind of talked about a little bit earlier, we went through the book of 1 Peter. So go ahead and open to 1 Peter. We're going to be in chapter 2 uh, this morning. But that passage that Chad just read is the opening of 1 Peter. And it talks about who we are in Christ. We're chosen by God. We're sealed by His Holy Spirit. We have Christ's blood sprinkled to us to justify us um, from our sins, taking us to a righteous people. Um, it talks about that we have a, an inheritance that's going to be a glorification one day. We're, we're going to receive all the good things of Christ one day. And it talks about that now we're being sanctified, we're being set apart. And um, so quiz your kids, see how many of those six words they can remember this week. Because they, they had them down this week, all right? So I don't know what a weekend did to them. But we talked about that, and that is the basis of everything, is God's salvation. And so if you've heard that word salvation before, and wondered what it means. First Peter, that just, just let it out right there. That God has chosen us and forgiven us by Jesus Christ. But we're going to go a little bit later um, into the, the kind of end of one section of first, first Peter and the beginning of a new section of First Peter. It's going to be First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. And so this is the last two versions of the first half of First Peter. The first two verses of the second half of First Peter, and what happens is in the first half, Peter breaks down this salvation. What does salvation look like? So it's it's a very theology heavy um, passage. It's it's this is what ultimately happened, and we can't see those things, but this is the reality of what has happened. The second half of First Peter is so how do those unseen unseen theology? How does that that deep things of Christ that we can't even completely understand? work itself out in our practical, everyday lives. And so um, he's going to wrap up one section and start the new section. So I, I picked these four verses to kind of give you a summary of First Peter. And um, so students, we're going to get to get into some of the stuff that we just, just barely hinted at this week because um, everything we're going to cover today took about three minutes um, this week. It was just kind of the end of, of um, one of the sermons. But I want us to get into this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 9. We're going to read just four verses. Very short this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. There's a Bible in the chairs in front of you. If you don't have one, you're certainly welcome to keep that. It says this, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may, pro may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pray together. And then we're just going to um, break this passage down to three sections and uh, talk about what it means here for a few minutes. Let's pray. Lord, you are good, gracious and kind to us, God, and we thank you so much. That you have chosen us, you as you have brought us out and you have saved so many in this room. Lord, I pray for, for any here 
who have not got to taste your good salvation yet. That you would bring them to faith. You would stir up in their hearts conviction of sin and faith in you, Jesus. Trust for you. That they would be saved. Maybe even today. Lord, we pray for vacation Bible schools we have coming up and, and so many new families coming here to the church. That you would save many of them and work in their hearts. Not just the kids, the entire families, Lord. Father, I pray, um, though as we get to these verses, that we would not just see our identity in you, Jesus, as, as me, myself, and you, but Lord, corporately as a church. May we see what you have made us. That you've made something out of nothing. God, may we understand that. May we have confidence in that and be refreshed in that. But Lord, may we also be convicted in that to live in a new way. To share your gospel with others. The purpose for which you have made us. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. So today, um, we're going to talk a little bit about identity in Christ. That's what I think the core of this passage is. But a lot of times you hear that word, and, and what's talked about is, what are we as Christians? And this is really, really important. If I could get anything through to, to a new believer or, or our teenagers, our kids, that in Christ, when you have trusted Him, you are completely new. You, you have not um, got this history record, this guilt-laden um, misery that we used to carry of our sins. Christ has forgiven us if we've trusted Him. He has made us a new person. Um, the Bible describes it in this incredible way um, in another book, in Paul. It says we've been clothed with Christ. In other words, when God looks down at you, He doesn't see your sin and your unrighteousness. He sees His Son, Jesus Christ, and the perfection and the beauty of His Son. Before God, you're not a sinner if you've been saved. He sees you as His very Son, Jesus. That's how good it is. We're the children of God, is one way the Bible puts it. The sons and daughters of the king of the universe. That's why identity in Christ means. But Peter here takes it one step further in the passage we've read, particularly these first two verses. He takes it from what you are, sitting there in the green chair, and expands it to what we are as the church of Jesus Christ. He takes it from one individual Christian and that person's identity to what the corporate church of Jesus is as a whole. And this amazing identity of who we are. Um, and I want us to see it. I want us to grab hold of this as a church. Because it is rich and it is refreshing and it is encouraging, and it has implications for how we live and what we're about. And so he lists out five different aspects of this. And then he gives us an illustration. So that's what we're going to do first. Um, point number one there, you're blank. Christians are a new people. Christians are a new people. So earlier in this chapter, if you'll turn back, it's a page back for me. Um, chapter 2, verse number 4. This is something we worked through with your students this week. 
says, as you come to him, a living stone, this is Jesus, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, verse 5, you yourselves, that's plural, right, students? There's lots of you out there, like living stones, again, plural, bunches of little rocks are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So what this is talking about is he's giving us a visual picture of this. Christ is a stone. He is this strong, strong savior. And it says he makes out of every person that he saves a individual stone. He makes you strong. He builds you up. And there are lots of stones out there. His, his little rocks that he's created out of people who, who were swayed and drifting in sin. He's created you as strong. But he takes those little rocks and builds together one house. One holy priesthood. One people. So, so here's the picture. It's just like when all the guys came out here. Uh, Kenny and his crew did, did the area out there. There was another crew doing this back wall. They took every one of these rocks and just go with me. They're fake concrete rocks. But every one of these rocks here, all right, and they put them together to make something bigger, to make a whole. And what it's saying is that Christ is taking you as an individual believer who, who has amazing potential, who is indwelled by his Holy Spirit, who is saved, who's made righteous. He's taking you and putting you together with a whole bunch of other people like you. And he is making something that is greater than the sum of the individual parts. He's making something beautiful. Christians are a new people. So turn back to today's passage, verse number nine. We're going to go through these things that Christ describes us as through Peter. Christians are a new people, verses 9 and 10. The first way we are a new people says you are a chosen race. That's your blank there, number one under one. And, and by the way, students, yes, I caught that this morning, even though I apologized to you all this week for having one under number one instead of doing an A or B or something, I did it again this morning, but you'll, you'll track with me. So little number one under big number one is we are a chosen race, a chosen race. And what this talks about is that God chose. You are not here by accident. You didn't just stumble in. You're not here because you're the best of the best. As a matter of fact, um, you may not have been much of anything. But Christ has chosen you and made you something. He's made you his child. And he has chosen us. He has chosen His church, this church that sits here on 1668 Sunset Road, for some reason, He wanted a body of people to grow, to grow here. To come to love each other here. To come to walk together. To come to do life together here. And He has a chosen purpose for us. Our sovereign, almighty, all-holy, creator God picked you to be part of this church. And what is his purpose for you here? I, I don't know, but I know it's good. He has a reason that you are here. You're not here randomly. You're not here just because everybody else has something for you. You are here because God has chosen to knit you together with me into providence. 
church, not a building, something much greater, something much bigger. He has chosen for us to be his people. That gather together here. In the south part of Nashville. He has a reason and a purpose. You're not here by accident. You're not here by accident. Now, let me encourage you in this. Some of you may feel I have nothing to give. You may be a new believer. We've, we've got folks that have been baptized in the last month. You're a new believer. You are here for a reason and you have something to give to this body. Paul, in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, talks about that, that the church is a body and everybody has lots of parts. We've got fingers, we've got toes, we've got knees, legs, all that, a head, all this kind of stuff. And some parts of the body... It's really obvious. Okay, the hands, they hold things and they do this. The feet, they walk. But there's lots of other parts that you don't think about too much that maybe you never see. Paul kind of describes it like this. What if the whole body were an eye? I mean, an eye is an amazing thing. It can take light reflected off everything and create a picture in our mind i mean that that just blows my mind i am not a biologist i have no clue how all that works but that's amazing but paul said what if a whole body were an eye not going to get very far as amazing as an eye is the body needs every part and the body needs those unseen parts you can see my foot, or at least my shoe, and my leg. But what you don't see is all the ligaments, all the muscles, all the tendons that hold me up. You ever pull one of those, you know they're there, right? There are lots of parts to this body, this chosen body that God has planned, that you may not realize are happening. You may not even know they are there. But they are essential. You may not know about the little widow who's quiet, who doesn't ever teach, doesn't sing, but who prays. And who takes care of your kiddos every single week and teaches them God's Word and loves them like her own kids. You may not know about the teenager who works at Chick-fil-A. When I came in one day, was just having a lousy day, and was just discouraged in the work of Christ. Saw me in line. I didn't even see this teenager. Grabbed her manager, gave me my meal at half price, and said this. It's my pastor. He's famous. my life all these little things god has placed us together we are a chosen people you are here for a reason god wants to use you in this church we are a chosen race we have been chosen by god for a purpose and he's put us together as providence number one number two there in verse nine you are a chosen race a royal priesthood Number two is a royal priesthood. All right, so quiz time. How many of y'all paid attention during Bible study this morning? I hope y'all were here. If you're not here during Bible study, it's a great time. We're going chronologically through the entire Bible. 
And right now, um, we're in the book of 1 Samuel, and um, we're to the story where Saul has been king. He's been king for a grand total of two years when he blows everything. And Saul decides, out of impatience, that he doesn't want to be just king. He wants to be king and priest and offer sacrifices out of his impatience because he doesn't want to wait for God's chosen priest. God punishes him. He takes away his right to be king because he tries to be priest and king. There's a very, very important reason for that. There was only one who could be a royal priest, and it's Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus was both prophet, priest, and king. He was all three. He was to be the only one up to that point in history that is prophet, priest, and king because all of the Old Testament is pointing to him. And so Saul tries to go against this. He tries to become priest and king, and he's actually also a prophet. And God rejects him because of it. There's severe punishment. Saul actually goes insane because of this. He's rejected as king. His family is destroyed. It's a horrible, horrible thing because he outright rejects God's word. But here in the New Testament, we have this amazing picture. And this is why the stuff in the Old Testament is so, so important. For what Saul was rejected for, because it was all pointing to Jesus, and he didn't want to point to Jesus, he wanted to point to Saul. So for what Saul was rejected for, Jesus, as a congregation, creates in us. He creates a royal priesthood as God's children, the children of the king, his sons, his daughters. We are his princes and his princesses, and we are his priests to this world. And a priest, what their job is, is to point people to Christ. We do that by sharing the gospel of Jesus. We tell others about who Jesus is and what he has done and what he's done for us. And we do that as emissaries of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We are a royal priesthood. So what Saul desired so much, to point to himself, it's what we actually possess as believers, but not to point to ourselves, but to point to our gracious, kind God. We are a royal priesthood. So when you go out and take that little card and then invite your neighbors who's got those cute little kiddos or maybe those obnoxious little kiddos, we take those, um, to come to Vacation Bible School, you are going as the emissary of king. You are a royal priest pointing them to the God of the universe. That's a great job. I have never seen on a job title royal priest to God himself. But that is what we are as a church. We are God's royal priesthood. Number three, verse nine again. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. One of the themes this week or the, the central theme is we don't belong here. Because of what Christ has done, he has so radically changed our lives. We don't fit in with the world system anymore. We act differently. We think differently. We do different things. We have different goals. We're now a holy nation. We are set apart. That's what that word holiness means. It's set apart from sin. We talked about that this week a lot with the kids. Kids, sorry. Students. Um, we are set apart. 
from the sin of this world. Something has changed so deeply that we are not who we used to be. And that's not just you as an individual. That's us as a corporate body. We are together a new holy nation. And that's why it is so important that every single member of this body represent Christ. Because you not only represent Christ, you represent Christ as a member of this church. And we are to be pointing as a body of people to Jesus Christ. We don't belong here anymore. We don't fit with this world. And so together, we are a refuge. We are a nation within a nation. Our hope doesn't lie in the fate of America. Whatever it might be this November. That's not where our hope lies because our ultimate nationality, our ultimate allegiance is to Jesus Christ and His church. We are a holy nation within ourselves. We've been set apart. So we're a, holy, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Look at this next one. A people for His own possession. A people for God is the blanks in, there in your bulletin. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people. For God. God has always been creating His people. If we look all the way back to the Garden of Eden, God created Adam and Eve to be His, to start up a race of people who loved and worshipped and praised Him and fill the entire earth. They didn't get beyond two before they'd rebelled against Him. So God calls Abraham a man to restart His people. He fails repeatedly by lying, being a terrible dad, a lousy husband. His kids fail, and his kids fail, and his kids fail, and it turns into this nation who he redeems a second time out of Egypt where they'd become slaves with Moses as a leader. And what do they do? They reject him again in the wilderness. They complain, they whine, that he hasn't given them enough. And so he goes to bring them into his land. They say, we won't go. Those people are too big. You can't take care of us, God. We'd rather go back and be slaves. God's people keep having these restarts where God does amazing, merciful things, but His people rebel. And finally, with the new covenant of Jesus Christ, His people now have God's Word in our hearts. We have His Holy Spirit sealing us. And we are God's people and we just might barely start to act like Him. We're His people. We're God's representatives here on earth. We're His children. We're His sons and daughters. And so in how we relate to one another, it's totally different. It's not a club. It's not a business. We're a family. We're sons and daughters of the King. And so we treat each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. We treat the older women as mothers, as Paul told Timothy. The older men as fathers. The younger women as sisters. We went through this this week with your kids, your students. We are a family. We're a family. We are God's own people. That's who we are. It's not who we're becoming. It is who we are. It is a reality in Christ. And we don't always look that way, right? Sometimes 
this family looks more more like dysfunctional family in need of counseling, right? This is who God has made us to be. This is our identity as a church. This is who we are. This is more real than the hand you can look at in front of your face. We are a royal priesthood. Excuse me, we're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. But he didn't do that just to make you happy. It does make you very happy, or at least it should. But he didn't do that just to make you happy. Look at that next phrase. That, in other words, so that, here's the purpose, here's why he's done all this, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So here's what the next blank is. Number five. God created his new people for his mission. He didn't create this people just to make you happy. It's not all about you. It is all about him. God's mission all along, back from Genesis, as we just talked about, is to create a people for himself that will praise him, that will exalt him, that will glorify him. And his church, Providence, is created for that mission. It's not that our church has a mission. It's that his mission, God's mission, has a church to accomplish it. Our job is not a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit. It is to proclaim the glories of God to everyone on this planet so that they might join Him. God's church is an agent of mission. We are to go out and spread the gospel. So God created His new people for His mission. But number six, proclamation. All right, big word time. Proclamation, that means preaching. Proclamation is essential. Look back there in the the verse 9. That you may proclaim. By the way, this isn't written to the pastors. All right? We have a job. Our job is to preach. But this is every single person. This is the chosen race, the royal priesthood, the holy nation, the people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You're supposed to tell your story. Here's what Jesus did. He came, he died, he rose again, and he saved me. He has called me out of darkness into his glorious light, and it is good. I still struggle, I still fight, I still have sin, but he forgives me. You're to proclaim what God has done. It's not just that you live a good, holy life. And we'll get to that. Don't worry, that's the end of this passage. It's not just that you live a good, holy life, but that you actually speak the words of Christ. You tell about his glories and his mysteries, which are beautiful and full of love. Proclamation is essential. So number seven, a picture from Hosea. All right, so so track with me here. We've got to go a, a little Old Testament jump here. Verse number 10, once you were not a people, so that's true, there was all these individuals, we have, we, we have nothing in common for the most part but Christ, there may be a few family members, that kind of thing, but we don't know each other, we're not associated together outside of Christ. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now 
you have received mercy. Okay, I want y'all to go on a little field trip with me here, if you would. The Old Testament book of Hosea. You will turn there. He's one of the prophets, and he probably had the most miserable job of any prophet um, in the Bible. And we're going to read just a very short passage about what happened to Hosea. We're going to start in Hosea 1, verse 2. But Hosea is a picture of what God's people were. God's people kept straying away from him and wandering off into sin, and then he would bring them back. And then they would stray off into sin, and he would bring them back. And so he says, I'm going to paint a picture, and I'm going to use you as the paint, Hosea. Here in Hosea, Chapter 1, verse 2 says this. When the Lord Lord first... Boy, let me just try that again. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea... So he's going to speak through Hosea, and he says this to him. Go take to yourself a wife of whoredom. Don't say that in church every day. And have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer the daughter of Diblium, and she conceived and bore him a son. What God tells his prophet, I want you to go take a prostitute as your wife. He tells his holy, righteous prophet, go marry a prostitute. I want you to have kids with her. What we find out is that prostitute was the picture of Israel. It was a picture of God's people at the time. Because they kept straying off. And they kept thinking, oh, it's the little things. We're being you know, a little unrighteous with our money. We're probably, uh, one of the common things is they were, they were cheating people in their businesses. And they wrote those off as the little things. And God says, I see you like a prostitute. I keep calling you back. And you won't listen. And so what ends up happening, Gomer, his wife, becomes a prostitute two more times after he's married to her. And he takes her back. Um, Later in that chapter, verse number 10, I'm sorry, verse number 8, excuse me. She has a son, they, they name the son No Mercy. Really good name. Next time y'all do parent-child dedication, remember that. We need to get a couple no mercies in here. But verse number 8, When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, Call his name not my people. For you are not my people. I am not your God. Verse number 10, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea. This is the spiritual children of Israel. That's us. Which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it will be said to them, children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and they shall appoint for themselves one head, that's Jesus. And they shall go up from the land for great shall be the day of Jezreel, the return of Christ. the picture of us. We were far, far from God. Scattered all over the place. 
and Jesus has brought us and squeezed and pulled and pleaded. And he's brought us together here. He says, you are my people now. I don't care who you used to be. You are my people now. You're my people. You didn't used to be a people. You didn't used to have mercy. But now you're my people. You're children of the living God. Not just you by yourself, all and on, but all of us together, we have been brought together as the children of the living God. So Christians are a new people. Big number two. As a new people, live in a new manner. Verse number 11, look with me there. As a new people, live in a new manner. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. So he says, okay, this is who you are corporately. And he's already gone through individually. But this is who you are. So just abstain from all the sin. And he doesn't make it out to be this little thing. He says it's waging war against your soul. It's not that sin's this easy little thing to kick, you know. It's waging war inside of you. But he says, Get rid of it. That's not who you are. One of the things we talked about this week, students, right, was we need to act more like who we actually are. God has created us new. He's made us new. He's regenerated us. He's made us holy and pure through justification. So we need to live like that. And this is talking corporately. We as a people need to live in a different manner than we have been living means you do your business differently. It means you talk to the waitress differently. It means you drive differently. I had one of those yesterday. <laughs> yes, I had already read this passage because I'd been kind of reflecting on this personally even before I was preaching. And it's very convicting. We act differently. We sacrifice of our money. Who does? I mean, who has extra ten percent plus of their income to just give to an organ? Who has that? But that's what we do. We give of our time. I've never seen a, a time in my life where people are more busy. But the people of God's church, they give radically of their time, and they live holy lives. They don't act like everybody else. They don't date like everybody else. They don't do business like everybody else. We are different. And we're called to be different. And he doesn't, again, he does not make this out to be easy. Make sure you see that. Which wage war against your soul. This is no light thing. He doesn't flippantly say, just, oh, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But together, we are to help each other live as this beautiful picture of Christ. There's something um, that we're going to be talking more and more about in the fall. We're going to be preaching a series on it. And it, it's not a real pleasant thought. It's called church discipline. And what that means is we as a congregation are responsible for each other. So much so that when we see each other struggle, we're going to go help each other. And if we see one of our members 
One of our people. One of these people. The royal priesthood. The chosen people for God's own mission. If we see one of our own who's falling, we get crazy radical to try to pull them back in. And we're so much seeking to be holy that if they refuse to be pulled back in, we have to say, you're not a member here anymore. Because we are a chosen people. And we want you to come back. Please, please come back. We'll help you. We'll walk with you. We'll do whatever it takes. We'll take lunch once a week for the next year. We will walk together. But you've got to come back. We're a holy people. At least we're called to be. So let me challenge every single person here. As a new people, don't live like you used to. There may be something in your life that has been that way for as long as you can remember. Maybe this Sunday is the day God calls you out. And maybe you need the rest of this congregation to walk with you in that. Because that's our job. So when the brother comes up to you, when the sister comes up to you and says, I need help, you drop what you're doing in your life and you help them. As a congregation, we've paid for people to go to Christian counseling before. We'll need to do it again. We'll need to sit with them. We need to partner people up with someone who's been there before. Maybe their marriage is struggling. We need to partner them up with another couple. Maybe it's a person a guy who's struggling with purity in his mind or what he's watching. We need to pair him up with somebody. And we need folks who are willing to not just let this be the pastors who do this, but who go on and own the work of ministry. We're a new people, so live in a new manner. Number three, as God's people on mission, so we've already talked about that. This is who we are. This is why. As God's people on mission, conduct yourselves as good ambassadors. Verse number 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles. That's, that's the non-believers. That's how he's referring to that. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Here's what that means. Today, it is offensive in most circles Say that marriage is between only between one man and one woman. It's ridiculous to say sex outside of marriage is wrong. Looked at as crazy. People can't do that. We're looked at as hateful when we say God created male and female. Our intent is not to be hateful. It's to show the love of God, the truth of God's word. But here's what this passage says. When we speak the truth in love, not hatefully, but in love, when we speak the truth in love, and we're still hated, we're still looked as fools, we're still looked as evil. When they say, no, that's evil. That church has nothing to say to our world because of their evil. But they look at our lives. And they're convicted. They say, no, something's not right. I, I don't get what they're saying. What they're saying seems like foolishness. But the way they love me 
I want to be part of that. I hate what they say, but they came and helped me when my house flooded. I don't like what they say. That sounds crazy. They gave me food when I lost my job. And what the Scripture says here, verse number 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, so they're going to call us evildoers. That, that's a given. But it says, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So number three, as a people on God's mission, conduct yourselves as good ambassadors. You represent God in your words and your deeds. The words we've got to speak truth. But our deeds are to be so convicting to people that they may not buy what we say, but they want what we have. And I'm not talking to you and you and you. I'm talking to us. We do this as a church. This is a corporate identity. This is who we are. Not who I am, but who we are. This is how we're to live. This is how we're to see ourselves as a church. Let's pray together. We're going to sing, respond to God. Father, Take your word and use it. I'm sure it's not been the most clear message. But take your word because your word is the source of life and truth and hope. Use it to your glory. Father, I pray for anyone um, who's thinking about a church. They might be convicted and, and want to be part of this church. Lord, and I pray for our church right now. That you would make us holy. That we would see who we are. That we would be encouraged by that God. We would be refreshed by what you have already done for us. And who you declare us to be. Even though we don't always look like that. And Lord I pray that you would make us to look like what we are. A holy nation. Royal priesthood. A chosen people. People for your own possession. And Lord, may we be on your mission. May it just be ingrained in our soul. It's who we are. And Lord, may we live differently than we used to. And may we be your ambassadors. May, may we be a witness, both in our words, but also by how we live. Lord, please work in us. God, and we thank you and love you. In Jesus, your name we pray. Amen.